So when Paul, when Paul uh, was encountered by Jesus, he was struck blind for three days. He was uh, he had an attitude, and he and he um, he just didn't see how God could work like he, the God that he knew through Ju- Judaism, he couldn't he couldn't work out how God could be like Jesus presented. And so it was so offensive to him. He went around uh, murdering, uh, you know, going in, knocking on doors at early in the morning, taking men, women, and children, and either imprisoning them or being responsible for their deaths. I mean, if you ever want to know whether God can forgive you for anything, look at Saul, who became Paul. Because God took that man who was so violently opposed to him, he broke his heart in a good way, and he inflamed his heart where he... Saul, one thing he wanted was truth. One thing he wanted was to serve God. He just was sincerely wrong. That's why we need one another, because the fact that we believe things sincerely doesn't mean it's true. The fact that we even feel things deeply doesn't mean it's true. It just means that's what we feel at this moment. And that's why it's so important for us to know another opinion we need to base our faith and feelings in something beyond ourselves. Because ourselves, we just can be sentimental, we can be misguided, we can be angry, we can have attitude. And that was, that was Saul. And then Saul's life was totally changed as he had a revelation of God's love, a revelation of God's presence that he couldn't explain. And Saul was somebody who who loved the explanation. I mean, if he was going to go on a career, something else, he would have been a teacher. And he was a teacher. He was a debater. He was somebody who loved words. He was somebody who liked the mind. But for three days, he lost his mind because God just said, I'm going to show you who I am. And he couldn't think straight because it was all confusing. I hope everybody here has that experience from time to time. I hope you have from time to time an experience of total confusion and a total kind of scratching your head saying, I don't get it. Because your journey with God should lead to that at some point where he's able to surprise us. He's able to go, I'm not at all like you think. I'm much bigger. And we live in this tension where Ryan gets baptized and many of us have been baptized and and we want to say God is good and God is great. And then we also live in a world that is totally messed up. And so very often what we do is we still live from feelings and emotions. So, you know, my comment about going on a cruise, if you feel, you know, I mean, I don't like the thought of a cruise, quite honestly. It just doesn't appeal to me. But, you know, it's like going into the mall and, and pretending I'm on water for five days. doesn't appeal whatsoever. But that's okay. Whatever does appeal to you, think of that and think... If you could just imagine an idyllic place or place of being for you right now, I wonder where it would be. It might be in the Bahamas on a beach, so, uh, sipping a margarita, non-alcoholic or alcoholic, I don't care. Um, it might be playing golf. It might, I don't know. It could be anything. And you feel the feeling of that, I, I have nothing to worry about. I'm so relaxed. It's so cool to just be here. And that is your body and your spirit, but mainly your body going, oh, it's good. And what God's desire is that th- those moments of feeling relaxed or at peace is something we actually learn to cultivate day in and day out. So that it's not, you, you know, 
many, many people in the world, like Raj and, and his brother Rao, who live in Kotapali, where we've gone to the orphanage, I've never heard them talk about going on a holiday. There's no money. And none of the people in his village go on holidays. So, I mean, what's a holiday? <laughs> a holiday, maybe we've got another meal of rice with some meat in it for the children. But a holiday is having to find my life in this Kotapali village. And I'm sure there are many, many places we could describe that about. And so there's an element of how do we learn to live alive in the midst of disappointment, sickness, death, and hold on to the fact that God is faithful and loving and good and kind in the midst of a world that is all over the place. I mean, I was just watching a quick documentary last night. I wasn't meaning to, in a sense, on somebody recalling the the horror in, in Bosnia. 1995, they show footage of these women and children being put onto trains and the men are being left behind. And six men out of about thousands survived. The rest were killed. And the authorities even now, because of our com- completely ridiculous political correctness, said, well, that's not genocide. We live in an incredibly sick world. And the ability to get from here to here is not a lot. From intolerance, from uh, prejudice, from justifying, excluding some people or exterminating others. It's not a big gap. It creeps up. And Paul lived in that kind of place. And so the God that we worship has to make sense in this world. He's not a God who, let's go and follow Jesus so all our lives can be happy and nothing will happen in the world. Heaven does not exist on earth in all its fullness. It never will till the end time. Heaven on earth at this point comes through human beings who know the, the, the fullness of God. The only place you will find heaven on earth is in individual people and communities where God is celebrated and Jesus is Lord. And they will be existing within a place that looks nothing like heaven. So Saul's testimony when he becomes Paul is he's in chains. I love this part. I always speak about it. He's in chains and he goes, I am free. You see, heaven on earth is like that. I used to talk about it a lot, which was, was uh, the Egypt and slavery and freedom are coexisting. So you can be in this room now and be a slave, or you can be in this room and be free. Your circumstances will be exactly the same. Your response is totally different. And because we have been so um, brainwashed and, and we are so naturalized into slavery... Most of what Jesus promises and most of what Christianity really promises still seems to us like too good to be true. So we say the real world is really this misery that we live in and and one day we'll be in heaven and what we are contending for here and in many other places, how can we experience the presence of God in the midst of the incompleteness? Does that make sense? Our hunger is, Lord, how can I know your peace and your power and your passion and your presence in the midst of whatever happens. And then in the midst of that, how can I actually be an influencer 
Because he said, be light and salt. Well, light is useless in a fully lit room. Light is really good in darkness. What's happened is most Christians, when they go into the darkness, they just get dark. We're blending in. Ooh. The salt has lost its flavor. So, I didn't know you were a Christian. Or otherwise, we become a nauseating kind of glow-in-the-dark thing that just irritates everybody. Because we, we kind of put on the costume, but we don't have the servant heart. And so we're all learning. How do I be authentic? What does it look like for me to actually know Jesus in the midst of this world that is hostile? What does it look like uh, to be unconditional in my response to people, even when they reject me? We're learning that. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians. And Paul now has been a Christian probably 20 years, maybe more. And uh, he's been really out of the public eye in Tarsus for 14 years. Uh, and I've, I always mention that as well because so often, you know, the deeper the, the deeper the ministry God has for you, the longer he will hide you. The stronger the ministry he will release you into will depend on the deeper you go with him in the quiet and private places. Because if you step out and you don't have any any strength in you, you will fall as soon as somebody goes boo to you. You will underestimate the backlashes. And so there's an element of I keep encouraging people, don't rush, don't rush, don't rush, don't rush. Don't rush, don't anoint your own ministry, don't proclaim your own ministry, don't declare how gifted you are. If other people can't see it, then talk to them about that. Be teachable, be patient, be open. Because when we actually lay things down, they're, they're raised up. And so Saul has spent, uh, Paul now has spent 20 years, not, not but a bit later, I mean earlier, he had been in Tarsus and then he began his public ministry and he did these journeys around uh, Asia and he had spent nearly two years in Ephesus. He had been to Ephesus, if you look in Acts 18 and 19, they're the, the, the brief accounts of Paul's a journey into Ephesus and he had gone into Ephesus very briefly they asked him to stay and he couldn't and then he went back and you go into Ephesus and when we talk about atmospheres sail into Ephesus with Paul and see the atmosphere the atmosphere is one of pagan worship the at- you, you look from the, the boat and you can see Artemis the, uh, the, the temple one of the seven wonders of the world in that day to the goddess Artemis and the whole industry around there where they were making silver, uh, you know, silver um, idols for the goddess. And it was an industry in that town. It was a, it was a commercial town. Uh, it was a sophisticated town. I mean, with Greeks and Jews and, and, and all kinds of races present. And Paul arrives and he begins to speak about this one Jesus. And they invite him into the temple. And he, uh, you know what our temples are today, don't you? box stores and banks. If, if people wanted to come in and say, who do you worship? They would look at the most influential buildings. Us as them. We worship all kinds of things that are expressed in our community. So the Christian church wouldn't be sticking out in Port Alberni as a major temple. That's why we want to reclaim it. Or we might be like I went to the um, 
Uh, I, won't, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole. I'll be disciplined. So Paul, Paul is, it comes to Ephesus and he goes to the temple and he starts teaching. And they welcome him because he was actually teaching. He knows the Jewish faith really well. He's interpreting it. He's, he's saying who the Messiah is. They get a little tired after a while because after a while it begins to say we can't coexist because you see what they would have loved to do in Ephesus and they would love to do in many places of the world is Paul, you're very welcome here. Um, you believe in Jesus, we'll create a temple to Jesus next to Artemis. Let's not be single-minded here. Let's not be, let's not be so narrow-minded. Everybody can be happy. You worship you and you worship you and, and Paul didn't do that. He said, no, we can't coexist. Jesus actually is Messiah, which means he has come to fulfill the promises in Judaism, which made the Jewish people, like he had been, very offended. So they kicked him out. He went next door and he, 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 he talked in the library and he said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, I'll go to other people. That must have pained him hugely because it was his birthright, his heritage. So to follow Jesus is sometimes demands pain. It demands uh, you can't make everybody happy. You can't please everyone. That Jesus, and I, I say this deliberately here, but I also know it probably ticks a few people off because our culture is so embedded in, in tolerance with everything, I mean, just respect everybody. I'm going to speak on the other side of my mouth now because I do think you should have tolerance and respect everybody. And I do think that uh, probably the worst thing in the world for any country is to have a Christian government. I'll tell you why. Because when Charlemagne became uh, the, the head of the Constantinople, the head of the church, the growth of the church just faded down in the fourth century. And the reason I say that is because Christian government is looking to try and bring heaven to earth in a way that it's never going to happen. And Christians in government tend to, I, I think you should have Christians in government, but Christians who try and impose their beliefs on other people, it becomes intolerant and becomes ugly. So Christians are called to be salt and light in the world, in government and everything, but I don't think they're called to rule. Not on this earth. That's why I won't go down that rabbit hole either. See, there is a God. So what I'm trying to talk about this morning is this, this tension that exists. What does it mean to be Christian in a broken world? What does it mean to stand for Jesus? What does it mean to actually trust Him beyond lip service? And Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says some things to them which um, I'm just going to remind us of now. Because what happened with Paul, if you read Acts 19 particularly, when Paul began to start really declaring that Jesus is Lord and people began to follow him and they were actually influenced by him and it also tells us that actually Paul didn't just talk and this is the thing I love about Paul. He says he didn't just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They also said when, when Paul was present... People even wanted to take handkerchiefs from him and when they pl placed them on the sick people, they were healed. In other words, he didn't just talk, he ministered in power. And people were healed. And people's lives were transformed. 
And sometimes they were transformed by the logic of his words. Sometimes they were transformed by the power of God that they saw manifest through his ministry. And they said, we've never seen anything like this in the temple. We need both all the time. Some people want all the emotions and the feelings and no teaching. Other people want all teaching and no feelings and emotions. We need to be stretched in every direction to be healthy. And so Paul, when he starts his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you go, so what? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, this is the great, I love this word, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure while he purposed, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Would you love to talk to Paul? Uh, what? But he's ultimately just saying God is great and God has poured out his love and he's also predestined you to know him and our favorite Calvinists say that means some are predestined and some are not predestined which it doesn't say here. It's only through the human mind and the human prejudice that these truths get distorted to become selective which is ridiculous to a God who says he loves all creation and a God who loves all people and creates all people. So God's, God's love and his predestination is that every single human being, is to, he, he has predestined to know him. In other words, he wants them to, but he can't force them to. There's mystery in all of that, but I passionately maintain that what the scriptures say is all are predestined to know him, not just the ones who say they do. And then, of course, Jesus says, well, there are many who call me Lord and they won't come to me. So you end up with this relational thing all the time, which is be open to Jesus, follow him as best you can, and grace will be enough. But all have been predestined, every single person. That's why I love to say to people like Ryan now, God believes in you more than you believe in him. He knows you passionately. He loves you passionately. He's paid your price anyway. And so all my privilege is to say, why don't you cash in? But for many of us, we're so wounded, we're so scarred, we're so numbed, it doesn't feel like good news because I can't imagine it being real for me. And that's why we need to give each other time to sometimes grow into the reality of what God has for us. Because it's easy to speak the words. And that's where I'm going today with this passage in Ephesians or this chapter in Ephesians. Paul starts off by saying, this has all been given to you. I should be like John Stott and, and I'll go through every word. Paul, an apostle. And we'll spend the week on that. And then next week, Christ Jesus by the will of God. I actually remember as a teenager listening to John Stott doing Ephesians. I don't remember anything about it, but it took a long time. So I'm not afraid. John Stott, he's in heaven now. But Paul, Paul says all these things. L let me just take, uh, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So, so what? You are blessed. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You kind of don't look really excited about that, do you? Because you go, yeah. Or if I'd said there is $5 million in your bank deposited as I'm speaking from heaven to you. Woo, yeah. Woo. <laughs> All I have is yours, says the Lord. And we go, how do we do this? And he says, well, the first thing, the, the, the long journey for us is that I am talking spiritually, not physically. And so your conclusion might be as mine, yeah, that's cool. But I don't experience the reality of that too much. I have debts to pay. My life is a mess or my family is a mess or I have a relationship that's a mess and I don't experience the great blessing from God right now. And that's why I said to you right at the beginning, you have Egypt and you have the promised land and they're superimposed on one another and everything you go through in life has the potential to live out of slavery or to live to the potential to live out of sonship. The Christian life is just like Jesus was Moses, came into Egypt and said, let's go out, I've paid the price, the, bl the blood of the lamb on the door frame, now let's go on a journey. You've heard this a thousand times, they go on the journey, God provides for them, they get to the promised land, they chicken out because there's some enemies there and they say, we're not going in. So they wander around for 40 years. And these are God's favorite people, 40 years in the wilderness until the older people have died and the young people go through with Joshua. And then they still have battles on their hand. What does that tell you? Everything on heaven has been given to you. I have set you free. But for you to walk in that and enter into that is going to take faith and trust. And you, unless you learn that I am faithful in the midst of your enemy, you will never find victory. Unless you learn that the secret to life comes from the inside out, you will never know courage. Unless you learn that you need one another to travel, you will never see Red Seas part. You cannot know the faithfulness of God and hedge your beds on, bets, bets on earth. Somewhere on the line, you take steps of faith. And that's a journey for every single person. And every single person learns the same things in sometimes different ways. One of the things we can do to one another is try and actually short-circuit people's growing because we think we're being kind and we actually just make it worse. Wisdom is about how, Lord, do we walk alongside one another? When do I just leave you with your choice for now and when do I help you? We need wisdom for that. One of the ways, you know, we know that's common dealing with addiction. You can only help somebody addicted when they actually want help. But I hate working, I hate the word addiction because I want to, to sort of spread it out to all kinds of things in life where we find our trust or we find our worthiness or we find our identity from things that aren't really from God. They're just another human crutch. And we all have them and we all will have them all our lives. We, we're growing in freedom. Paul is, is sitting in prison writing this letter to these Ephesians who he has nurtured and he has planted a church among them. And he says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conform conformity with the purpose of his will. Now you just hold on to that. He says he has chosen you. He loves you. 
He's got you. You're the apple of His eye. He sees you right now. He hasn't walked you by, past you by. And you go, well, it doesn't feel like. And He says, what would it feel like? What would it feel like for God to love you any more than He could possibly? What would it feel like for you today? Well, if He really loved me, He would change my circumstance. And He says, what if you're the problem in the circumstance? What if you actually just looked at your circumstance and heard Jesus right next to you with his arm around you saying, kind of sucks, doesn't it? I'm here with you. Why don't you follow me? Oh, you follow me for a day and then you give up. Why don't you ask some people who know me better to help you? Oh, you're too proud. I'm trying to walk alongside you in human form through people around you But you have an attitude because every person who ever comes close to you, you judge and you reject because they're not perfect like you are. You keep asking me for help and I keep sending people to help you, but you reject them because of all kinds of reasons in your little prejudiced life. So when you've finished, let me know. I think God does speak like that. He's not a soft touch. He's truth. He says, the truth will set us free. The truth is, I love you with passion. The truth is, you're not Jesus. The truth is, you need a Savior. The truth is, you need my Holy Spirit in your heart in order for me to be able to communicate with you. The truth is, some of you have locked me in your head. So you have no power. But you have a lot of attitude. And you have a lot of thoughts. And you have a lot of opinion. But you have no love. And it's love that actually touches and transforms. It's love that gives hope. It's love that pours out forgiveness. How can God love you more than he loves you right now and show it to you? What would it take? Because you can say, Holy Spirit, give every single person here an anointing of your love right now. You have to start seeing God beyond your circumstances. And the only way you get close to Jesus is you, 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 you just tackle every question that rises until you get to him. Every question that denies him, every question that you find objectionable, tackle it. It'll fall. If you have humility and you genuinely want the truth of Jesus, it'll fall. If you're playing games, nobody can ever answer your question because you'll always have another one because you don't want an answer, you just want to defend quite common or you're scared as Ryan said I'm scared of love I've seen many people over the last 40 years sabotage God and relationship because they're afraid of love some of you remember Donna who was with Fred and Glenda for years and uh, was a prostitute of Victoria who we tried to care for as a community and eventually last time I saw her she was um, in a padded cell I won't go into the whole story and and coming off heroin and she died maybe 15 years ago. And she sat in my office one day after she had been with Fred and Glenda for quite a long time saying, I just want a garden, I just want a home and she got that. And then she ran away. One of the hardest things, Fred can test it, the hardest things of caring for people is when they reject it. Because they reject you too. And it's painful. Because you learn to love them. But you can't share the love of Jesus with people if you don't want to get hurt. And Donna came back quite a long time later and sat in my office and just cried. And sometimes when you see people like that, you kind of 
catch the glimpse. You could see the six-year-old girl in her. And she just said, I'm terrified of love. I know how to work on the streets. I just don't know what to do with love. There are a lot of people like that. They don't act out to that extreme. There are a lot of pe- There's some people here like that, guaranteed, for good reason. But Jesus comes to each of us and says, I can walk with you from where you are and for, from who you are. I can walk with you into something better. And Paul demonstrated this incredible trust in God and in Jesus that if you read his letters, I mean, he says at some points, he said, you know, you guys are such wonderful Christians and the rest of us apostles, we come last. I've been flogged, I've been hungry, I've been imprisoned, I've been shipwrecked. He just says it as a matter of fact. But apparently you guys don't need to go through that. The only reason he was imprisoned was because he stood his ground that Artemis is not God. And when they said, you're destroying our economy, he said, well, it's a false economy. And they put him in prison. The only reason people are persecuted in the church, we talked about this a while ago, is because they speak of Jesus. Don't want to be persecuted? Don't stand up for Jesus. Real easy. Deny him. Compromise him, keep him under lock and key and say it's, it's sensitivity. You will never suffer for Jesus. You don't have to. You'll be safe. You'll be ineffective. You'll be lukewarm. Your life won't be transformed really. You'll be playing both sides of the fence. And then you'll criticize the church and you'll criticize this and you'll criticize that. But at the end of the day, you just don't have the guts to say yes. And I wouldn't encourage us to say yes. I, I keep encouraging, what's the next question? What's the problem? The thing that's been most rich in my life is that I have a questioning mind and I have pursued it. I'm not saying that proudly. I just go, if this is true, I want to know. If this is true, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. And so now I can come across arrogant because I'm incredibly confident in the faithfulness of God. I'm incredibly confident in the integrity of Jesus. It's taken me 45 years to get to incredibly confident and arrogant. It's a gift. Because every argument that comes against Jesus is usually very, very easy to demolish. And it usually comes from a broken emotional spirit, not from a great intellectual. And so Paul was trying to, when he was, goodness me, go home and read Ephesians 1. First part of Ephesians 1 up to verse 14 um, he says at the end, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Praise be to the, Lord of, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. The first half is just irritating theory. The second half is this is what it looks like. And what I'm encouraging you and me to do is to say, don't just read the first half and then blab it off to one another. I don't know about you, but I find it irritating. Don't just blab off to me what Paul writes in the first half. Show me what it looks like in the second half. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayer. I keep asking, and what's he going to be asking? He's going to say, everything I've talked about in the first half of Ephesians, I'm going to ask God to give you as an experience so that it becomes real in you. Because there's no point if you have all the blessings of heaven and you actually don't access it when you're on earth. What is the point? 
But the blessings of heaven released on earth in human form, which is in you and me, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, power, passion, all of that stuff. And that's going to glow most brightly when your circumstances look like mine, but you, you behave differently. When you're in chains and you have nothing to eat and you say, God's favor rests upon me, I have never been more free in my life, people will listen. And that's why the Roman praetorian guard who were chained to Paul listened when he began to bear witness to his faith because they said this man who's actually apparently not even ugly, he's not even very good looking, he's little, he's awkward, he's got a physical deformity and he's actually when we're in his presence something shines that is compelling. You can see there's a long way to go but at least I've got the prayer on my lips and in my heart. And what does he say? Because this is Paul the intellect. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. We talked about it last week. When our hearts are touched and changed, our minds are changed. And so the eyes of our hearts being enlightened with wisdom and truth is, this, is the work of God's Spirit. And that's why it's important to go open your heart to God. Say to Him, here I am. If you want to listen to God, I say it every week, listen to what's going on in your heart. Listen to what's going on in your heart and then pay attention to how you respond to that. Do you let your heart rule you or do you let it inform you? Your heart is like a litmus test. It'll show you the truth of what's going on inside you. It'll raise the questions that your mind has to answer. If your heart is numb, your mind will be closed. If your heart is open, you will begin to feel things more. You will be moved. You will start caring about other things. When you're angry and defensive, you'll be closed. Listen to your heart. That's why Jesus said to Peter on the shore of Galilee, do you love me? He didn't say, what do you think about my resurrection? I don't know, it's just a big surprise. Good enough, Peter. You know I'm alive. That'll do. But some of us want to argue about everything. And if you want to argue about everything, you'll know probably nothing. You're no longer slaves. You're free. And so the second part of this is about uh, he wants us to walk in the things that he's won for us. He's placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I missed, missed out. The, he's a, he's, uh, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I'll end with this kind of thought. This is actually the most powerful thought, which is when we become Christian, we are placed with Christ, which means we are placed with Christ, which where is Christ? He's not crucified. He is risen. He has ascended. He is with the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for the world. Now, it's easy to say. What does it mean? It means that God says, you are now my children. You are my son. You are my daughter. All I have is yours and all authority I have is yours. In other words, you live on earth in my name as a known part of my family. That means your status on earth changes. 
When you walk into any place, you walk in with my spirit, my authority, my presence, if you are aware of it. If you go there calling yourself a Christian with no sense of identity and no authority, you will be useless. You'll be somebody with a label but with no light. So one of the things, and because we're so deeply entrenched in the slave mentality, we can be giving ourselves to Jesus, but we still feel inferior, we still feel scared, we still feel in bondage because we've never experienced freedom. We've never experienced authority. We've never experienced the ability to make choices. Guess what? It doesn't happen overnight. I was driving here on Friday and thinking of this, because I do think of these things, and... uh, it was like God was talking to me, which I'm always hesitant to say like that because it just sounds like me talking to me. But uh, we're talking about babies because last week I talked about seeds and how the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that grows in us and that God's ways are like hidden ways in the midst of the ordinary, the extraordinary happens. And I say that to encourage all of us because we're all looking out there for this wonderful kingdom of God and he says it's inside you. Ooh, doesn't feel any different. You're a little pot with the seeds of heaven. You're a, claw, Jay, a, a little claw, clay jar. You're a clay jar with treasure in it. Some of us spend way too much wor- time worrying about the clay jar. Worry about the treasure. And he says, you know, the same is true with all the spiritual gifts. The same is true with everything of heaven on earth. It comes in seed form. It comes almost unidentifiable. And it grows into something magnificent. So how did you arrive on earth? You were basically a fertilized egg growing in your mother's womb, born and then a baby. What do you do with a baby when the baby is, is left on its own? You call it abandoned. But when you become a Christian and you live live on your own, you call that working things out in the prayer closet. What do you do with a baby as it grows up and it's not fed properly? You call it malnourished. What do you call a baby who's a Christian who never goes to church or is never part of a Christian community? You call it independent. I don't need church. I'm part of the worldwide church, the invisible church. The very things you use in the physical to say are actually very damaging to life, in the spiritual you think are virtuous. And that's why you have so so many immature, malnourished little Christian babies because they try to self-do everything and they cannot. What do you say to a baby that's dressed up as an RCMP officer at four years old? You say, isn't he cute? He thinks he's a policeman. He's going to a fancy dress. What do you do to a Christian who dresses up as a prophetic minister at four years old and says, this is my ministry? You have to grow into things. The fact that you put on a fancy dress of prophecy or healing or anything else doesn't make you a prophet or a healer. I feel important. I mean, I remember playing as a kid. I feel like a policeman. I look like a policeman. I must be a policeman. You're still a four-year-old. I just want to encourage us to allow God's process of growth to continue with humility in the context of community. And we will see heaven explode on earth. Because we are what God uses to answer the prayers we ask Him. Lord, give us breakthrough. I'm trying to. That's it.
So how am I available to God and working in the, in, in the community with, one with my friends to become all that I can become? And as we encourage one another, we can actually encourage one another to say, I see this happening in you, I see this happening in you, so let's keep growing. That's what Paul was trying to do with the Ephesians. He gave, you learn what God is intends and then you say, how does this get released so that it becomes real? Let's stand. If I was John Stott, I would have gone on for another half an hour. Open your heart to Jesus if it's not already open. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice, I will come in. It's really, really sociable. Jesus, we just ask you to apply what we've been talking about this morning in a way that makes sense for us. That if God has placed everything under the feet of Jesus, it means there's nothing in our lives or our circumstances that he is not Lord over. Nothing. He is not ultimately Lord over. So he is with you in the midst of life. He didn't tear down the Roman authorities like the early disciples wanted. He got crucified on a cross. It made no sense to them because they didn't see the big picture. You and I are always wanting him to clear out the Romans in our lives because it would be easier. And there's mystery in this. But in the midst of it, he will be faithful. So Father, we pray that you anoint each of us with a faith in you that would enable us to know your presence in the midst of our circumstances right now. And we pray for a sense of identity. We are your sons and your daughters. You are the Lord of the universe. And you in some mysterious way live in us. And you have poured out your life and your spirit upon us that heaven will be visible on earth as in heaven through our lives. And we thank you that you can make things visible even through cracked parts, even through incomplete lives. You can, you can give glory to yourself because of our attitude and our, our countenance and the way we walk on this earth. So I call faith up in every person here to believe that what God has begun, he will continue to do in you. That he is faithful to the end. I pray that you will have your hearts enlightened with wisdom and truth to know who you are and who Jesus is in, in you. I pray, Father, for identities to continue to grow that are not formed by the past, but are actually formed by the future. That whatever is holding you back because of what you've experienced in the past is broken at the cross of Jesus. You are no longer a slave to your past. Even though you feel like a slave to your past, you begin to declare, I am no longer a slave because of Jesus. I have been set free and I am opening my heart that Jesus, you would take hold of me and lead me into the inheritance that I have as your son or your daughter. Speak those words over you day by day by day. Jesus, I don't know how to let go of some of the things in my past, so I ask you to help me to let them go. He's here to help you, not condemn you. He's here to empower you, to bring freedom into your spirit. So Father, I pray for new identities to continue to be formed and matured. That like Paul, we would have a confidence in who you are for us, no matter where we are physically. You can ask him, Lord, open my heart 
Give me revelation. Give me wisdom. Thank you so much. It doesn't depend upon me. I pray for healing. Anyone who needs healing, just receive from Jesus. Just reach out like the woman who reached out for his garment and said, Jesus, I just ask you for healing. I ask you for healing of my body. I ask you healing of my spirit. I ask you for healing of attitudes or addictions. Jesus, I just speak blessing on every cry that is here right now for your healing touch. If you want to be prayed for for healing, there will be people during communion to pray for healing. Just go after it. It's mystery, mystery, mystery. But the one thing we know is we never ask, we never get anything. Somebody here possibly with an ulcer or, 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 or sores in your mouth and Jesus just wants to release healing. And I also want to speak a word over depression and despair today. Anybody who struggles with depression, with a sense of hopelessness, or has come here with a sense of being overwhelmed by life, in the name of Jesus, I just break the spirit of those off you in the name of Jesus. Depression, be gone in the name of Jesus. Overwhelmed helplessness, be gone in the name of Jesus. And in its place, I call up hope. In the name of Jesus, let hope rise up. Let strength rise up. When Paul prayed for the people of Ephesus, he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, the Father, the Son, and Jesus. If you want hope, and you want freedom, just draw close to Jesus. So, Father, I bless relationships with Jesus. I bless relationships with the Father. And I bless a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit on each person here right now. Place your hand on the people next to you. Let's pray for God to just like have a little rain shower here, like flood this place with his presence. So what you're doing is, like I heard it sometimes, you're like a gutter, you know, and we just get to, Father, will you just pour out your Spirit on every single person here right now? Fill them afresh. Fill them afresh. Give them what they asked for and give them what they didn't even know they needed. Just speak blessing in the name of Jesus. Blessing in the name of Jesus. Lord, you know that in every single life, their longings, every single life, their hurts, every single life, their secrets that only you know about. And we just ask for your light to be poured out, your hope to be poured out, your healing to be poured out, that we would not be a church where we just speak words, but we actually encounter the presence of the living God. Let the presence of the living God be upon you right now. Fill each person up. And you know, he's already filled you, by the way. It's very quick. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. So you just thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that you filled me. Thank you that your hope is rising in me. Thank you that you are the most important, biggest, richest person in the world and you love me and I'm your child. Thank you that everything I've ever screwed up about you took on the cross of Jesus. So you look at me with a blank face and say, what are you talking to me about? That when I ask you for forgiveness, you forgive me. When you say I'm free, you really mean I am free. And so I come against the slave mentality and the inferiority in my mind and heart, my fear of God to be gone in the name of Jesus, that what would rise up would be joy and life and hope because I am a son and daughter of the living God. 
I am not alone. And I have a community around me that are going to love me and support me and I'm going to love and support. So we speak blessing in the name of Jesus on what you're doing here. And we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.